Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the WealthStream Podcast with your host, Tim Scannell. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, Tim. How are you doing, Wendy? How are you doing today? Oh, I am good. I am excited about today. We have a guest. So what's happening? So we've talked on the podcast a lot in the past about our wealth management process where we do advanced planning with clients, helping them transfer wealth, protect it, focus on charitable giving. And the core, which a lot of clients think about us, as is the investment process. And in our case, we try to focus or we talk about our fiduciary investment process. And today, what I thought we would do is bring on Stephanie Link. And Stephanie's the chief investment strategist and head of investment solutions for Hightower. We contract with them to help us kind of create the fiduciary process to make sure we're growing and protecting our clients' wealth. For Stephanie was on a podcast with us, thank gratefully, and back in January, podcast number 99, and she's agreed to come on today. So, you know, we're getting a lot of questions from clients constantly, but we get where there's a theme showing up recently. And I read a lot of Stephanie's materials. I watch her videos and we discuss a lot of that information with clients, but I just thought it'd be great to have Stephanie on to maybe talk about what's happening um, in particular. Great to be here. Thanks, Tim. So Stephanie, what I thought I'd do is I know you're actually more famous than I could possibly be. And most of the oh. listeners probably know who you are, but for the ones who don't, maybe if you could just expand a little bit or tell people about your background, et cetera. Sure. Well, I've been in the business over 30 years. I spent 16 years on the sell side as an institutional salesperson, as a director of research, head of sales, a lot of different roles. Uh, I then switched over to what they call the buy side, which is running money. And I worked with Jim Cramer for seven years and I ran his a charitable trust. Uh, and by the way, I'm the longest employee tenured with Jim Cramer at seven years, just to let wow. you know. That was that was <laughs> That's a skill. Maybe, that, that is definitely a skill. Uh, no, I learned a lot. I learned a lot under him. Um, and then I went to Naveen uh, and ran uh, about $4 billion in um, large cap core, which is a portfolio uh, that I currently run and was there for five years. I was a global research director. And then I uh, came to Hightower because I thought that within the financial services um, industry, there's a lot of fee compression, right? People don't want to pay for sell-side research. People don't want to pay for active management because passive has been so in vogue over the last several years. And I thought, well, Hightower actually is in a sweet spot where we are growing by leaps and bounds. And we, and I, I was very, I'm really proud to be part of this organization, especially after meeting our CEO, Bob Oros, who is just a gem of a, of a CEO. And he, he knows exactly, he knows exactly where this business is is going. He is skating to where the puck is going. And mm -hmm. I really enjoy that very much. And so at Hightower, I wear a few hats. Uh, I am head of our investment solutions business. That's our 
asset management business within Hightower. And I also am a portfolio manager, as I mentioned, large cap core is kind of my style. Uh, core just means a little blend of growth and value. And uh, it's very similar to the portfolios that I ran with Jim. And it's very much similar to when I was at Nuveen as well. Uh, and uh, I also am a CNBC contributor and chief investment strategist at the firm. So a couple of hats uh, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so I can imagine that keeps you very busy, right? It sure does. It sure does. But this is my true favorite thing to do is to talk to advisors, talk to clients, and just talk markets. Excellent. So one of the things that I saw that I see in the materials and I've talked to clients about is where it says you provide investment solution capabilities that you would normally get, for example, with an institutional asset manager, but access to kind of a boutique manager. So what what do you can you maybe expand on that and kind of talk about what that means to you? Sure. So what we are, we are an asset manager that is housed at Hightower. And what we offer are various different solutions for our advisor teams if they want to outsource the any of their investment, their clients' investment money, they can outsource it to us. And we have equity capabilities, fixed income, as well as multi-asset portfolios. And we're in the process of building out the private markets business. We, uh, when I joined three, a little over three years ago, this um, the investment solutions had about 800 million in assets under management, and today we're just shy of four billion. Uh, so wow. we have been gaining lots of share with our advisor teams, and really at the end of the day, Tim, some of the advisor teams just don't want to in, uh, run the investment piece. That they want to be more of the holistic wealth manager, which you guys are the experts at, and so it, this frees up their time to the advisor time so that they can spend more time with their clients and let us do the day-to-day -day grind with the markets and the Fed and the economy and everything else. But it's, it's what we love to do. And I think being the, the wealth manager that many advisor teams really pride themselves on, I think they enjoy that as well. Yeah. And I think that we're in meetings all the time, planning with and planning for clients. You know, yeah. we work with a lot of construction contractors and we're doing tax planning, exit planning. You know, we like to partner with people like yourself, your your team, and um, you're able to talk to more managers, more boots on the ground. You could just do more than we possibly could to get more opinions. Um, so we we love it. And, and actually performance we, has been great. Oh, so, I'm so glad to hear that. Let me ask you, so how, just because clients will ask me this sometimes. So how do you keep current and, you know, with your team, yourself, et cetera, what, what are some of the things you do to make sure you're trying to consider as much as possible when making some of the decisions with us and for our clients? Oh, yeah. So um, I do a lot of reading and a lot of researching uh, of uh, companies, of um, management teams, of kind of the macro of what's happening around the world, by, by the way, not just in the United States. So I do a lot of research and I think that's really important. I also talk to management teams and in my portfolio, it's fairly concentrated. It's about 25 names, uh, equity names. And in my portfolio, I have a rule that I will never invest in a company unless I've met the management team, the CEO mm -hmm. and the executive team. Uh, I've always put a very high emphasis on management teams, their execution, their track record, their strategy, their focus, their willingness to overcome adversity and again, it's not just the CEO, it's it's really the, the general suite. And over time, I've been doing this a long enough time that I have met uh, many, many CEOs and uh, and I can 
I can tell, you know, that you can see the whites in their eyes when you're seeing them at conferences or sure. when you're seeing, seeing them at, at, at Zoom calls as well. It's also the tones that they kind of, whether they're uh, really confident or if they're a little bit more frazzled, you can, you can tell after doing it for so many years. So the research piece is very, very big. I read Barron's every, every Saturday morning religiously. I'm, I'm still this old fashioned lady <laughs> who, who likes the newspaper. And yeah, I like so detailed. Right. That, that, right? Yeah. I mean, but I always find that it's a, it's a, it's a great way to learn. When I first mm -hmm. started my career, I had to read it three times because I didn't understand anything, but I, I really think that's a very, it's very, very helpful in terms of what has happened in the prior week and also very thoughtful uh, analysis and interviews. So I like that. And then our team, Investment Solutions, we're a team of 13 and we do a daily morning meeting uh, uh, with the team and we talk about what's happening in the markets, what's happening in equities, what's happening in fixed income, any big news and that sort of thing. And that's very helpful. And then I do other meetings with our private markets teams and uh, our fixed income teams. So we're constantly talking. We're all over the place. Some are in Chicago, some are in New York. Mike Shea is in Utah. And right. uh, so we, we do, though, communicate a lot. And, and I think that's very, very important. And then one last thing I would say is it's really important also to talk to colleagues outside of Hightower. So a lot of friends that I have, that's how you get a lot of good ideas, or at least just chatting about thoughts and, and tone. And, and what I find very interesting to be a CNBC contributor is when I'm on a panel and everybody agrees on one, with, on one stock or how the, the economy is going or the Fed, that always kind of puts my antenna up that you never really make a lot of money when you go with the grain. You sure. have to be a you have to be a bit of a contrarian, and and I and I think that really just uh, it really helps me in my analysis and 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 on the sentiment side. That's awesome. So you know we get a lot of questions when we're meeting with clients. I run 15, 20 meetings a week, and some are big theme questions, some are more specific. So I thought I'd run a, a few things by you just to get your thoughts, uh, so that the listeners, our clients, can get your uh, best ideas. Um, this is a general one, but I've I've read some of your material recently. So just generally your thoughts about inflation, where we're at, and inflation kind of going forward, where you think we'll end up. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question, and we have a very big meeting um, this week with uh, with in Jackson Hole with a lot of the global central bankers, uh, and this will be the topic: inflation. Uh, I I think if we step back. And we just think about what we are seeing in the economy as a whole. Um, most people, Tim, thought in the first quarter of this year that that would be the peak growth hmm. and also probably peak inflation, right? We did, we did see 2% GDP growth in the first quarter, but the exact opposite happened. The second quarter saw an acceleration to 2.4%, and the third quarter is on track to grow 5.9% according to the Atlanta Fed. They, it's called the Atlanta Fed GDP now. They just, all it simply is, is they put real-time data into a model and it spits out a number, no, no emotion, no opinion. It's just wow. a number. And we all watch it throughout the quarter to see what it generally looks like, 5.9% growth. Now, I don't think we're gonna end up at 5.9%, but anything, anything above three or 4% is a shock is an absolute shock to everyone. I mean, I, I know I was fairly constructive in the beginning of the year, but I even thought that we would see eh, like one and a half, two percent kind of growth. 
Sure. And the reason that we're growing this much, I'll get to the inflation uh, question in a sec. One of the reasons why we are seeing this strong growth is because the consumer, which is 75% of GDP, they're, they've been resilient. And why have they been resilient? They've been resilient because jobs are plentiful and mm -hmm. wages are above trend and inflation, oh, by the way, is coming down. So real incomes are actually going higher. And I think the so the, that's the good thing, right? The consumer's done, done well. Manufacturing is kind of, eh, it's teetering a bit. It's still in a little bit of the doldrums, but anything that has to do with onshoring or aviation is on fire. So there's pockets of manufacturing that are doing well. And that's why you add it all up and you have this explosive number. At the same time, we have seen inflation decelerate. Uh, we had a 9.1% CPI print last year in June, and we're now with a three handle. Now, I will say something really I think is important. The last reading of CPI, the last inflation reading, uh, it had the benefit of very low oil prices. Since that reading, oil prices are up 24%. And so I think going forward, I'm not sure you're gonna see much improvement on the headline number, uh, but we've gotten, we've gotten, we've made good progress. We've gotten to a good spot. The problem is we, uh, the Fed wants 2%. They don't want three, they don't want 2.5, they don't want five, they want two. And so that's why the Fed, I don't know if they're going to continue to raise rates. I think you're in the eighth or ninth inning in terms of them raising rates, but I don't think they're going to pivot and start to and start to ease and reverse. They just spent a year raising interest rates at an unprecedented level. And they're not all of a sudden going to say, okay, you know what? We, we're we're close and we're we're gonna start, we're gonna start easing. They don't need to because the growth is so strong. Um, right. there, is, there is one other thing, and that is all of these moves that the Fed has done in terms of interest rates, uh, we have yet to really feel it because there is a lag impact by about 12 to 18 months when, when the Fed first starts raising rates to when we start to see a slowdown. And that's why the bond market has been inverted, kind of confusing. But overall, I think we're, we're kind of stuck with higher rates for longer so that the Fed slows us down, and then hopefully they can get inflation to the targeted level. Okay, and, and I guess that leads me to just a question about yields and rates. And you know, for a long time, our clients who are retired were almost forced to take a little more risk than they wanted to, just because they couldn't get any yields. And of course, now they are getting yields. So, what, do you have a crystal ball or thoughts about how long we're going to be at a point where? clients can get some bond and CD treasury bill yields? It's um it's a really good question. For the last 10 years, clients have had to take on risk to your point, right? Because there really wasn't a yield to be had. I, I think rates are going to stay higher for, for longer. I think we're going to have to see a material slowdown in the economy and a material slowdown in the job market. I mean, we right now have 1.6 jobs available for every one unemployed person. That is a super tight job market. Well, the Fed wants to get that, that 1.6 number down. So they're gonna, they wanna slow down. They believe if they slow us down, that'll slow inflation down, but I don't think it's gonna be that easy. And so I think rates are higher for longer. And uh, I think there is an alternative now, right? And I'm sure your clients are at least happy you can get 5% and sleep at night. Yeah, exactly. Market, right? yeah, yeah, less volatility, yeah. yeah. And then I guess the other side of that coin is interest rates on the borrowing side. So, I mean, the clients will ask me, 
at some point, it seems like the higher rates have to have an impact on housing, on the accounting, corporate borrowing, et cetera. You hear stories about, you know, the um, the kind of a silent bank issues where funds have moved out of banks and commercial lending is tighter. So do you see that impacting the GDP long-term, the economy, corporate earnings, et cetera? Well, I think, yeah, I think companies are going to have a bit of a struggle. Those that are lever have levered balance sheets, right? There are many, many companies over the last decade that have been, have low, very, have we had, they had very low borrowing costs, right? And so they have though also have seen incredible free cash flow generation and they have been paying down debt for the most part. Look, there's a, there's a sliver of the S&P 500 and a, and a whole bunch of maybe small cap companies that will be impacted more because their balance sheets aren't in as good of shape. But those big blue chip companies, the companies that I invest in, um, I think they're, they are very, very strong. And again, it's that free cash flow that it's just been enormous that we've seen. And I like to see companies not only pay down debt, but also return it to shareholders and buybacks and that sort of thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's going to be a headwind. And also, uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen housing is sort of strange, Tim. I'm, I'm not sure what you think, but new home sales are back to March 2022 levels. So they wow. grew, we got a number yesterday, new home sales were up 31.5% year over year. Wow. So in, in, in the face of these higher rates, mortgages are now 723. That's the 30 year. But existing home sales, existing home sales are actually down double digits. And that is because most people in this country, about 80%, so say the, so say the stats, 80% of people that have a mortgage have a mortgage under 5%. Yeah. Because we've had such low rates for the last 10 years. So it's really interesting. People don't want to give up that 2 or 3% mortgage rate for a 7% mortgage rate. It makes all the sense in the world. But, but I, I don't think it has to do with demand at all. I think it has to do with the fact that that would be a huge additional uh, incremental cost for a home buyer. And you, you, you would just have to get much, much less home. So it is an interesting dynamic. And I will say on new home sales, if you talk to any of the home builders, which I do, um, they'll tell you they have underproduced for the last 13 years. So there's really limited supply and there's all this demand, at least on the new home side. Um, we are uh, 5 million homes short in this country. Oh, wow. we, have okay. five, we, we have 5 million millennials that are first time buyers, whether they buy or not, I don't know, but they're tired of being in the basement of their family's house. So <laughs> sure. And so the dynamics for housing over the long term are, are going to stay very strong. And in the face of higher mortgage rates, okay, maybe it slows a little bit, but you have these tailwinds behind you and there, there will be opportunities to be investor, investing in these companies as a, as a result of the long-term themes. But so far, it's, it's a mixed picture on the housing side. Uh, yeah, it's higher funding costs on the corporate side. Higher rates are, are the Fed is raising rates by design. Mm -hmm. They want all of this to slow, right? Because they think slow growth means uh, lower inflation. And uh, and that's the, the quandary that all of us are in because we're just sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting for the economy to tank. And it hasn't. It's not exactly the opposite. Yeah, and I think one of the things you mentioned earlier, the word onshoring, it seems to me like that might be part of the equation of why things are doing better than people anticipated. I mean, can you, can you, and I've read your material on that. Can you expand a little bit and for the listener on what you're seeing with that and how it's impacting the economy? Sure. 
I mean, it's a huge tailwind. First and foremost, we have $3 trillion in infrastructure bills in one place or the other. There are a variety of different bills. There's $3 trillion uh, that re just recently went, went into, the, into the economy. Um, and if I can tell you about stimulus, at least fiscal stimulus, it also takes a long time to get into the system. You know, because there's a lot of you know, government and there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of that. So and then it takes time to hire people, takes time to build stuff. Right. And so that has been a huge tailwind. And the reason that they passed all of these 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 bills is because, well, we need. OK, on average, our bridges in this country, over 100,000 bridges are over 50 years old. Wow. in this country that's just one example not to mention all the potholes and everything else and you know this and that so so we they they want to fix obviously the infrastructure we haven't even touched the grid in this country in 50 years so that's got to be built out and then you have this other part this onshoring that people got hit hard companies got hit hard during covid because everybody outsourced their supply chains to china and then China, then we got out of COVID, but China then closed. So it was this back and forth and it was really very disruptive. And so you have a number of companies that have said, we're no longer going to invest in China in terms of where we have our plants and our factories. We're gonna move, move them or move our plants and factories around the world, including Japan, including Europe, and then also in the US. And then of course we have the Semiconductor Act and the Semiconductor Act is also a part of the onshoring theme, whereby we can't have all of our fabs, we can't have them all in China or Korea or where Taiwan. It's just these companies are, it's too uh, risky given the political environment and, as, and, and such. So you have all of these, these themes that are happening and that's why you're starting to see um, the, and you have been seeing a lot of the industrial companies doing very, very well. And so I, Tim, I think it's not a one or two year theme. I think this is a 10 year theme because think about it, it takes a really long time to build a factory, right? Yeah. I mean, a couple of years and then add on, you couldn't get the cement, you couldn't get the supplies, you couldn't get the people. So I think it's a, it's a definite theme and it, and it is one of the reasons why the economy has been resilient in the face of these higher interest rates. Yeah, I live in the Midwest, just outside of Chicago, and and very near um, US eighty ninety four highway, and it's like a crossroad for trucking. And there's just so many trucks, and as you drive around, you just see so much dirt being moved. And I, yeah. and I think that's an indication, a side indication of kind of what you're saying. Absolutely, you know, the CEO of the railroad on their conference call, he talked about how it, it they're they're flat out. They outsupplied in terms of cement. They couldn't get it. They couldn't get the amount that their customers wanted, and the pricing that they took on that cement was through the roof. And wow. that has a lot to do with housing, but also to do with this onshoring. So it's it just it kind of and you know it, it's interesting. There's a multiplier effect in in the industrial part of the economy, right? For every one job, 1.67 jobs are created around it. So it's really pretty powerful, and uh, it's uh, definitely something that. It's not going away, I don't think, anytime soon. Well, I think anyone who's listening can tell that, Stephanie, you spend a lot of time reading and studying, and you definitely have such an incredible grasp on the numbers. So outside of work, I mean, do you take time off? And if you do, kind of what, <laughs> what are some of the things you do just to relax and kind of regener regenerate? Yeah, it's hard, right? The, the, the laptop is always on. 
Bloomberg, my screen is always on. And it and, and it's I'll tell you a funny story. When I, I've been doing this for, for such a long time, but my my screen has always been an always, always on because I've always either run money or had clients that had money in the markets and that sort of thing. So my laptop has always been on and I have Bloomberg on and it's flashing green and red all day long. And uh, when my daughter was five years old, she walked into the study and she said, what, what, why is that thing always flashing green <laughs> and red? And what is it? And that was the first time I decided, my husband and I decided, we gave her some money and we give her money every year and we tell her to pick five stocks that she likes and we'll invest it for her. And it's not a lot of money, but it was sure, it's sure. a way to kind of learn in uh, in the industry. And uh, and she's done, by the way, she's done really quite well because, of course, <laughs> she's invest she's investing in everything that, you know, was really cool. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So I love spending time with my family, even though the screen is always on and uh, play a little golf. And, and I do. I'm a, I'm a runner. I run every day to start the day. I run in the morning and uh, kind of clears the head and gets you all set to embark on whatever hits us during the during the markets. That's awesome. Well, for the listeners, you can typically catch Stephanie on TV somewhere in MSNBC or one of the other channels. And and we have a tremendous amount of thought leadership that she provides to us. So if you're ever interested in more details, uh, diving more deep into it, please reach out to us. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for being a guest again. I know you're extremely busy and I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Tim. Enjoy the rest of the summer. All right. Thank you. Tim, how can people get in touch with you? So people can reach me. They can send me an email at tscannell at hightoweradvisors.com or just give me a call at the office at 219-531-4941. Thank you for listening today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Associates, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Great Lakes and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates, make no representations or warranties express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. 
Hightower Great Lakes and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.